National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. The late Queen Elizabeth II, as monarch of Great Britain and the head of the Church of England, met five popes in her lifetime. Pope Francis, in his statement upon her death September 8th, promised prayers for her peaceful repose and praised her for, quote, her example of devotion to duty, her steadfast witness of faith in Jesus Christ, and her firm hope in his promises. Edward Penton, the Register's Rome correspondent who hails from England, joins us now to remember the Queen. I'm Jeanette DeMello. Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, your host here on Register Radio. I'm joined by Matthew Bunsen, EWTN's News' Executive Director and my co-host here on Register Radio. Queen Elizabeth, who turned 96 in April, was England's longest-serving monarch, having ascended to the throne in 1952 at the age of 25 after the death of her father, King George VI. In June, the United Kingdom celebrated the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, marking 70 years as a monarch. Of course, Matthew, this week, uh, tributes uh, to the Queen have really dominated uh, the media. And, um, of course, her reign for 70 years means that she's the only monarch that most British people have ever known. Uh, the Register's uh, correspondent, Edward Penton, is one of those British citizens, and he joins us now from Rome. Edward what is your example, what is your reaction to the Queen's uh, death? Well, uh, it came as a bit of a shock, Jeanette. Uh, most people weren't um, aware that she was ill at all. It all happened within a sort of 48-hour period. Um, but then, of course, she was 96. So it's something that I think most British people have been expecting, of course, to come at any time. And certainly a moment, I think, that uh, myself and I think many others were dreading. It's uh, It's a... She's been a, 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 a constant throughout uh, mm. British life for so many years. Um, many of us, uh, as I said in my, my tribute piece, have only ever known her as our monarch. Um, in fact, the vast majority of the people in Britain. Um, and so it's all really uh, very sad and um, very sad for the nation. Yeah, Edward, uh, she knew five popes. She was also the head, of course, of the Anglican Church. What was her relationship like with the Catholic Church? And I'm, I'm really interested, especially in sort of contrasting where the, the church was in England at the start of her long and impressive reign and at the very end of it. Yes, I mean, she had always a very good relationship with the Catholic Church. As you say, she came to see the popes uh, many times, um, five times uh, she met, she, sorry, she met five five popes. Um, but she's, yes, yeah, she, I think she had a very good uh, relationship. She was very much sort of hands-off when it came to came to the Church of England, even though she was the supreme head of, of the Church of England. Uh, that was left really to the Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, so she she could, that left her free in a way to to sort of reach out and to be, uh, to have friendly relations with with the Catholic leaders. And, and she did that. Um, I think she was also quite sympathetic to, to church teaching, even though um, she couldn't sort of say that publicly. I know, I think she was quite um, disturbed by the sort of uh, push towards same-sex marriage, I believe. I think she was uneasy with that. Um, but she didn't ever uh, refuse to give royal assent, which is the formal uh, approval of legislation on, on any particular 
issue any anything to do with um, that was contrary to the natural law. So she did give real, royal, royal assent to to legislation for uh, abortion, for example, and uh, same-sex marriage. That was she. She always was willing to to fulfil her constitutional duty, and that's what she did. Right. You know, Edward, in your tribute uh, to your queen, uh, you you titled it "Tribute to My Queen." Uh, you really gave a beautiful, um, I think it just flowed from your heart, a uh, tribute to her. Um, of course, you acknowledge these things that you wrote were kind of of her humanity, where she failed to have maybe the courage to stand um, publicly for these things. But you also talk about many of, of maybe her virtues or her, her characteristics that um, were quite admirable. Can you tell us about some of those here? Sure. Yes. I mean, she gave hours to charity. She she had a life of dedication to charity. Um, she was. Um, I think the way the, what what people loved most about her was her de- her dedication, but also her sense of duty and really serving uh, the country and serving the people of Britain and her subjects. And I think that's what people loved the most. And of course, that what isn't often isn't said in the secular press is that that, that dedication and that sense of duty came from her faith. Um, it, she was. She said that publicly that um, uh, she she her, her her love for for Christ and her her strong devotion to her faith uh, really led her to to lead that sort of life. And she saw the the monarchy as a very spiritual and sacred office, uh, which it is. And if you when you when we watch the coronation of of King Charles III, you'll you'll see just how. Um, how religious it is. It really is a religious ceremony and it's the most Catholic ceremony, state ceremony in Britain uh, that we still have. Uh, it dates right back to, to when the church, when the country was Catholic. Um, and so she very much took that seriously and I think that was really the key to um, her great popularity among, among every, uh, just ordinary people. I think they could see that she was dedicated to them and she, that came from her faith. You know, Edward, we don't often, uh, you're a reporter, we don't often hear about, you know, your personal, um, uh, you know, your personal history or whatnot. And in this piece, you share a piece of your family history. Uh, You had a a relative who was at that coronation that you just spoke of. Uh, That's pretty remarkable. Yes, yes. My great grandfather was there. He, um, he was what's called Garter King of Arms, which is a <clears throat> an office of state, which is to do with ceremonial and heraldry. And um, he was head of that, um, but he'd retired by the time of the coronation. Uh, but he, because of his experience in that role, he he was closely assisting with it. Um, and actually, the Queen, because of he he'd actually uh, taken a leading role in her father's coronation, uh, King George VI. The Queen knew her, knew him rather. And uh, it was his birthday, funnily enough, on the day of her coronation, his 79th birthday, Sir Gerald Wollaston's birthday. And um, despite all of the magnitude of the occasion and everything that was going on, uh, she remembered to wish him happy birthday, which I think gives you a good insight into her selflessness and her her willingness to look beyond herself um, and to remember just every the people around her and, and just to be, be very considerate of them. Yeah, that was that was quite a, a a great reminder of the humanity too, you know, of of mm-hmm. the queen and, and and people really were fascinated with her and movies produced about her, you know, even in in the United States there's just just a real interest in in the monarchy. 
Now, yes. King Charles III, um, there will be many differences. I mean, he's she started at age 25, was it? And, uh, 25, yes. 25. He's starting at age 73. Um, and right. he also, she's a very <clears throat> religious uh, woman. She was a very religious woman, and he is not such a religious man. So how is this going to go? What do you think is going to happen? Yes, well, I think we'll see a very different approach from, from King Charles. He's He's been very outspoken um, as Prince um, and the heir apparent, and so I don't think that's going to change particularly. Um, I think he'll probably turn it down a little bit, but uh, he's always been one to speak out about causes that he fi- feels very concerned about, uh, and I think that's probably going to continue to, to some extent. Um, he is He does have a, a faith. I think he's quite close to the Orthodox Church, even though he's Anglican. I think he's quite sympathetic to it, as his father was. Um, but he um, he also takes a sort of more liberal view of, of the faith. I think he he once said many years ago he wants to be a defender of the faiths rather than uh, the monarch's key um, role as defender of the faith. That, that title dates back to King Henry VIII. Um, and so I think we'll see a certain change there. Um, but, um, but yes, we'll, we'll see how, how he does. I think he's, he's certainly, uh, committed to the role and I think he sees it also as a great sense of, of duty that he needs to fulfill. Um, so I think those parts of that, those aspects of, of monarchy, I think he'll continue. We have seen in the seven plus decades of, uh, the, the reign of, uh, Elizabeth, uh, a sea change in culture, certainly in England. Uh, where is the institution of the monarchy uh, at this point, and what impact is her death going to have, given that she was such a model for stability and continuity? Yes, well, I think it's it's a little precarious, Matthew, because I think the, the monarchy in Britain, um, it's been, I think that because of the, the, the decline of, of faith in the country, I think there's a uh, an inability to really understand the, the spiritual and sacred aspects of the of the office, and I think that could could jeopardise its future to some extent. I think people might say, not be able to see the reasons for it, um, even though uh, the Queen was such a great figure, and they could see just what a great leader she was through that that sort of juxtaposition of the spiritual and the sacred of the office. So I think the fact that there is that decline, that secularisation in the country, um, sort of naturally portends to a more republican future but i don't whether that actually happens i don't know it's 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 such a the the monarchy is so ingrained in the state um as i say it goes back to to when the country was catholic it has such deep catholic roots in 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 many ways spiritual roots that um it's very unlikely that it, it will it will be abolished i think but it will be i think it will go through some trying times though um, now that the Queen is no longer there. Yeah, the name Charles III uh, uh, invokes certain historical memories. Uh, the beheading of Charles I, uh, who had close connections, his, his wife was Catholic, as I recall. Charles II uh, came back. There was always the, 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 the question of Catholicism, especially with the, the emergence of his brother then as his successor. All of those questions uh, are very historical, but where is the Catholic Church at this point uh, in England? And as an institution, how has it changed? Uh, we were asking about the Queen earlier. Where is the Catholic Church? Yes, well, it's 
always been slightly outside the establishment. So, so it's still very much the sort of Church of England. They still have places in the House of Lords. The 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 Lord Spiritual there, bishops have have places in government, as it were, in the House of Lords, in Parliament rather. So it's the the Catholic Church has always been an outsider since since the Reformation, and then. Um, and then when when the the church uh, the emancipation rather when the church came back into sort of public life in britain um but i think it, it, in a way that's quite to its favor because it's not seen as part of the state um which gives it a certain amount of freedom um <clears throat> uh, to do as it as the church wishes um the, the thing is though many of the bishops in in england and wales tend to want to be- be part of that establishment. They want to be part of the discussion, and so they're willing to to compromise. And I think that's that's certainly been the case in the last few decades. And I think that's probably going to continue. Um, and that means more compromise rather than, as it were, standing up for the church's teaching, in season and out of season. I think that's that's always been a, rather a criticism among some faithful in the country that that's been the case. And I think that's probably going to continue. Um, and I don't see that changing with King Charles there on the throne. Well, Edward, as we draw this segment to a conclusion, I think we could talk forever because if the history is quite fascinating. But I return to mm. uh, your piece, A Tribute to My Queen, and uh, you really speak of her in the end of that piece of, as a mother. You know, that she is obviously a spiritual mother in the Anglican tradition. Um, she was a m- mother <laughs> and a grandmother and really looked upon as a mother, but she died, you made the point, on uh, the nativity of Our Lady. Uh, it's quite a, a beautiful thing that you brought uh, into your piece, and I really appreciate um, how you shared from the heart in this one. <laughs> sure, yes. I thought it was an interesting aspect that um, I think it connected with that uh, that spiritual aspect that she had, that that she had that sort of um, motherly sense, a sort of matriarchal sense about the nation and about the, her subjects, uh, and I think that that was something people loved about her, that she was that sort of mother and grandmother to to so many in that in that sort of way. Um, of course, nothing, no, no match to to Our Lady, but uh, I think that the the fact that she did pass on that day was uh, greatly significant in, in many ways. Looking back on the so many memorable moments uh, from her reign just in my lifetime, uh, one of the ones that will always stay with me was uh, her response to 9-11, in which she had that great line that grief is the price of love. Mm. That's right. Yes. Very true. Well, there is a nation mourning. Uh, there are many people around the world mourning. Uh, as Catholics, of course, what we do is entrust them uh, to the Eternal Father. And uh, as you did in the closing of your piece, Tribute to My Queen, we pray, May Queen Elizabeth soon be welcomed into the heavenly kingdom and behold the face of God. May she rest in peace of Christ. Thank you, Edward. Thank you. You're listening to Register Radio on EWTN. We're taking a short break now, but when we come back, Matthew and I will talk about a powerful new documentary on Mother Teresa. Stay tuned for more.
Archbishop Cordelione talks about the National Catholic Register. The Register's content is so critically important in the society we're living in now. There's an absence of the practice of religion in public life. So all the more important is it for people to be reading the Register so that they can acquire more understanding of our Catholic faith. I've appreciated the catechetical benefits of the content of the Register. It presents very clear Catholic teaching in a way that is easily digestible. To get six free issues, order online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. Call or click today. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, joined by Matthew Bunsen, Executive Editor of EWTN News and my co-host. Matthew, we were just talking about the Queen's death with Edward Penton, um, uh, what a beautiful uh, memory he has of, of her um, and, and in a, a way we can't quite understand as Americans, but we can be in awe of. Um, but, you know, before the Queen's death entered uh, the news cycle this week, there was a great amount of interest at in ncregister.com on uh, the 25th anniversary of Mother Teresa's death on September 5th, 1997. Um, people can't seem to get enough of Mother Teresa. She was such an inspirational saint. But but really, part of that interest revolves around uh, the new documentary about um, uh, Mother Teresa, or Saint Teresa of Calcutta, as, as she is in right. the church. Um, it was produced by uh, David Naglieri and the Knights of Columbus. Uh, you got to see this. I um, did. It's, it's titled Mother Teresa, No Greater Love. It premiered at the North American College in Rome on August 29th. Um, I think it premieres here in the U.S. O- October 3rd. Uh, what was the film like? What are the highlights? Well, first to, to be able to see this at the North American College was a, a, a great privilege and a, and a real treat, especially because the missionaries of charity were yes. in the audience, uh, which itself is always a, a great treat, having visited their house uh, in Rome on previous visits. Um, it was something to see them, and I was quite taken by the reaction of the sisters to the film about their founder. And uh, to be able to sit in a room with them, uh, but then also to be able to be in Rome where uh, in this documentary, and we can talk more about that, uh, probably the most powerful moments to me were the ones of her meeting with John Paul II. Okay, yeah. And uh, they had quite an affection, I believe, for one another. Um, and uh, and I, I think it is a beautiful witness to see two saints together, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, Thomas, uh, Father Thomas Petrie, the, the Dominican president of the Dominican House of Studies, always uses the phrase that the uh, saints uh, travel in packs. Yes. And this is, this is quite a, a pack of, of saints, just those two. But I think one of the things that the film really drives home from the moment that it begins... Uh, is to place the stress in its narrative, uh, in, in framing that the people that we're going to see in this, and they do this with uh, how they describe them, and, and they use Mother Teresa's own words in her own voice, of the dignity of the human person. Mm-hmm. That 
we have lost so much, and we can talk more about this too, we have lost such an ability to see the dignity in others. And so the rest of the film, uh, which is unblinking in so many ways in its coverage and presentation of where she went and what she did and where her sisters go and what they do, uh, that you do not see simply uh, the poor or the poorest of the poor. You see human beings, you see the dignity of the human person in the most trying and horrifying circumstances imaginable. So right from the start, this film captures that. And, and I think the rest of the film works because of that. Right. You know, I mean, she went to places where most people wouldn't go and, and, and couldn't go. You know, right. they almost, in a way, just couldn't stomach it, you know. Um, and, and a film like this kind of puts uh, what sometimes people can't stomach um, <laughs> right on film. Um, how does that work? Well, it works uh, uh, by seeing it through the eyes of those who are doing the care those who are engaged in this ministry, in this incredible apostolate. So you see a profoundly humanized, personalized set of experiences as the film goes through uh, the, the progress of her life, but it also moves around throughout her life. So it isn't simply a chronological documentary of her life, but it begins to unpack why she did the things that she did and how she accomplished that. And so we see... Um, a 90-plus-year-old gentleman uh, who is still helping uh, to provide care uh, in some of the poorest sections of the United States. We see those who are at work in, in the, some of the worst parts of Mexico. We see those who are caring, uh, some of her sisters who are caring for children with disabilities, I mean, absolutely stunning disabilities uh, in Africa. And you see the joy that they bring, uh, you see uh, that this is beyond simply an NGO, that this mm -hmm. is not simply a charity. There is at the heart of this, uh, of the life of Christ, uh, of seeking to be Christ and to see Christ in others, which, of course, is one of the great hallmarks of Mother Teresa's profound spirituality. Absolutely. And, of course, you mentioned um, the fact that this film, But Mother Teresa's Life, you know, just really helped us to center on the dignity of every human person in, in really in every circumstance. And, um, and of course, that's part of her great connection with John Paul II. That's right. So you see them uh, together uh, in several points in the film. And there's a, a comment uh, that's made that those who were around them, who spent time seeing them together, made the observation that um, they didn't actually say a lot because they didn't need to. <laughs> mm -hmm. All they needed to do was to, to spend time in each other's person, uh, in uh, the, the presence of the other. And both of them, I think, understood what each one was about. I think they recognized in each other um, not just the sanctity of the other person, but this level of commitment, of, but also the joy that they bring. And John Paul was, in, you see this in, in the clips, incredibly protective of Mother Teresa uh, in, his, in the smallest of gestures, but the enormity of the respect that he had for her and what she was doing, that also really shines through in this film. Yeah, I think that um, <laughs> she never had to say a lot of words. I'm sure <laughs> even in her work, she didn't say a lot of words. Her actions spoke so many volumes. Of course, she did use strong words um, when she spoke to, you know, American presidents or, right. or, or whatnot. But, um, but, but most of her life, she didn't need to use 
um, many words. And um, I think that it would be a sad thing if her, her great actions were forgotten, and I think that's why, um, at least that's what Supreme Knight Patrick Kelly explained, and, and so did the director, David Neglieri. They explained that they want the next generations to know of her great work, of her, of her charity and uh, her outreach, um, uh, but that it was rooted in Christ. Well, that's right. And when we look at causes of saints, now she moved so swiftly to canonization, and, and well, she should have, but there's this requirement in, in the study of the causes of saints, as a, as a cause progresses, that the question always has to be asked, uh, what is the legacy of this person? And have they, in their lifetime, did they create a structure, of a spiritual structure of charity, of love, of the perfection of the virtues and others, and has that moved through time after their death? And a documentary like this, uh, she's already canonized, right. so we don't need to verify that. But this is a, a really important reminder, I think, of, of two things. First, of her sanctity, the impact that she had on an entire generation, now several generations, of people around the world. Uh, and, and she was always opposed to this idea of, uh, of profiles and other things, uh, the, the famous uh, story on her by Malcolm Muggeridge that's mentioned in this documentary that she actually turned him down, that she had no interest in talking to him. Uh, so she was basically ordered by the Holy See, yeah, you really need to do this. Right. <laughs> Which tells us a lot about Mother Teresa. But the second part of it is that you begin to see in her work just what kind of a saint she was and how she struggled. And, and the film is also, I use the term unblinking, but it's also unblinking in her own spiritual life and the darkness at times that she encountered. That's right. You know, her, her sisters, the Missionaries of Charity, um, there, there are none who founded it with her that are still alive, but her sisters speak in a piece to, uh, to the register, uh, the register's piece, Mother Teresa, a quarter century later, it seems like she never left. This was written by Matt McDonald, and that's what they say. It feels as though uh, Mother Teresa never left, and that's because her charism lives so strong in them, and of course they believe in the communion of saints. We all we believe in the communion of saints, and so her presence as Saint Teresa of Calcutta is still with them and, and living on uh, in their work. And I think it's really a beautiful piece. I advise our, our readers to go to ncregister.com and read Mother Teresa a quarter century later, it's like she never left. And there's a lot more news analysis and commentary there at the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN Radio. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello. Until next week, God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on EWTN.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.